0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. All right, take your Bibles. Go with me now to the book of Genesis in chapter number 14, Genesis 14. Thank you for this opportunity to be here with you tonight, Pastor Radice, thank you for the labors through which you went and your team to be able to make this happen. Uh, Communication was incredible. There was not a thing I didn't know before I got here. And I mean, I'm still on the plane and he's calling me to say, I know you're here. I know you're here. This is what you gotta know. I'm gonna tell you, you're on it. And I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for your willingness. No, I didn't take your call either because the lady was looking at me like, why was your phone ringing? Genesis chapter 14, I want you to look with me, and we're going to start at verse number 18. This week, between now and Sunday, I want, these will have to be all new teens. Yeah, no, not you, but did your parents just make you come up here? You volunteered for this? Hmm. It's good. Good call. What happened to the rest of you all? They didn't let you hear? The pew wasn't big enough. Yeah, well, they're not worried about the blue tape at all. (laughs) At our church, pastor put out green tape. So said you could sit at the green. Then the green kind of just expanded. So he said, okay, now we're buying red tape. You can sit at the green and not in the red. What do people do? They do what they want to do. I love when the young people sit up front. You know why? Because I need help. Really, I do. So wise of you to sit here. This week, we're going to study from God's Word the significance of what this church is doing when it comes to faith promise giving. You note the lighthouse that is there and the, the ceremony through which we go through each night and seeing more cards turned in and such. I, I want you to know that's not about theatrics. This offering fits in the timeline or the scope of the offerings in Scripture. Now think about it this way. In Genesis chapter 14... We are introduced to God's order of giving. Now, I just noticed something, Pastor. Mark is sitting all the way in the back. You know better than this. What happened to you? I remember when you used to sit right there. Yeah, stop it. I just That picture just showed up in my Facebook feed. For you missionaries who are here, I've come a number of times in one... One evening, Mark Taylor, who's not right with God, had all of the young people here with umbrellas and ponchos and whatnot. Just, they're a blessing. In Genesis 14, we get the first indicator of the offerings that God sanctioned in Scripture. I want you to realize this. These offerings are the models that we follow today the offering that we're taking with the faith promise cards now if you go home and ask the google say show me faith promise giving all in that one phrase in the bible you're not going to see that phrase show up but you are going to see tonight i'm going to show you where the promised offering began if we can get there and if you listen fast enough But God has four kinds of offerings that are sanctioned in scripture to which we need to draw attention so that when we understand what we're doing here is not some emotional effort, but it's rather to say this fits right into the scope of things in the the word of God. I don't want to have somebody come in here and tell me a bunch of stories, stir my heart up, make me feel guilty or emotional or something, and then I forget what I'm really supposed to be doing. I would far rather somebody show me from the Word of God, how do I know that this offering is a scriptural offering? And so therefore, I'm going to take you on a journey through Scripture. Anytime a preacher uses the phrase journey, you know it's going to be a long sermon. Just bear with me. Note, if you would please, here in Genesis chapter 14, it's the introduction. I'm going to give you four points. I'm holding up eight fingers. (laughs) It's the medication they have me on. (laughs) One for each eye. Genesis 14 gives me the first of these offerings. Let's call it the gift for him. Notice Genesis chapter number 14, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him. Excuse me, I turned my page. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and in earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hands. Watch these next words. And he gave him... Tithes of all. If you're going to understand the four kinds of offerings that Scripture refers to that our church uses in order to conduct God's business here at His house, then you need to understand that, one, that there is an offering for Him. It is a prescribed offering. That is to say, God sets the amount. Do you know what the word tithe means, sir? What? What? Give money to God. How much? How much? 10%. All right. So do you have a job? Are you gainfully employed? What do you do? Is it legal? Can you tell me? What do you do? I work at a seafood restaurant. Is that what you said? What do you do there? I wash dishes there. So they give you money. You exchange time for money. Right? You give them time, they give you money. Let's say you made $1,000 last week. We can pretend they're gold dishes. How much is a tenth of $1,000? A hundred dollars, yes! So how much of that $1,000 is God's? Mmm! Ah, there you go, all of it. Had to get some help from the women over here. (sighs) Can I get an upgrade tomorrow night? I mean, something out of this crowd. Yes, God expects, seeks, looks for the respect that comes from the tithe. This is the offering for Him. Now, we're going to see in a moment there's an offering for His house, but this is the offering for Him. This is where we show our reverence and respect to God. This occurred before the law. In fact, the first book of the Old Testament and the last book of the Old Testament both reference tithing. That's significant to me. Because in the last book of the Old Testament, God said, if you omit the tithe... Do you know what omit means or do I need to go simpler? Take it, out. take it out. Very good. If you take it out, don't do the tithe, what happens? God says, you are robbing me. That's important to realize. How could we possibly rob God? By not participating in this first offering of the four offerings that are referred to in general categories of giving. Now we think about that. I tithe. How much is the $1,000 of how much belongs to God? All of it. So how much does God ask for? The tithe. Just the simple 10%. It's a great place to start. Go with me to Exodus 35. That shouldn't be too many pages away. Exodus 35. Click, swipe, tap, do whatever you people do. Go with me to Exodus 35 and let's see the next mention. First of all, the first offering is the gift for him, it's a prescribed offering. It's a, if you will, it's income based, all right? Here is the second offering that Scripture refers to. And these are broad categories. I'm not saying that the church is going to start taking up four collections on Sunday. That's not what we're going to do. I'm just simply showing you that when pastor says, we're going to receive the Lord's tithes, then you understand. This is where it comes from. This is the indicator in Scripture. The promised offering, which we will get to sometime before midnight tonight, We will show you that that offering, you got somewhere to go tomorrow? (laughs) You'll be home before the Waffle House closes. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) This offering is the offering that is not just for him. This next offering is the offering for his house. Look with me in Exodus 35. Go with me to 29, although I could show you in several places, this is a great summation of it. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. Every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. So I start with first offering in Scripture, the gift for him. Second offering in Scripture, the gift for his house. Look how sharp our guys are in the back. Verses on the screen. Even in King James? Pastor Coles is back there. I get it now. So this offering is the second offering that Scripture mentions. The first is prescribed. Maybe we could say that this is preferred. This is what I choose. Whose heart made them willing. If the first offering is income-based, then the second offering is heart-based. And you know what this is like. There are things that we we ask you to contribute toward and we say we're going to be doing this and God just touches your heart the offering that you all are working on at the end of each service to give gifts to missionaries for their their ministries and such those gifts are just like this offering it's a willing offering nobody's saying well you, you, you have to No, nobody has to do anything but there's something about that ministry, something about that missionary, say, I want to be a part of that. And that offering is a scriptural offering as well. First offering, the gift for Him. Second offering, the gift for His house. The first offering is prescribed. God sets the amount. The second offering is preferred, what you choose to give. And it was went to meet the needs of the tabernacle. Here's the third offering. Go all the way to the New Testament with me to Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you get to Revelation, turn left. And I want you to go with me in verse number 15. Here's a third kind of offering. First kind of offering, that's the offering for him. Second kind of offering, the offering for his house. Third kind of offering, the offering for a need or a want. Notice, if you would please, Philippians 4, verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. So we understand the context here. He's saying that he needed other churches to give, but no other church. He uses the word communicating, and I think we oftentimes just get stuck thinking, well, that's talking. But it's different in this case. This is them coming through with a gift for them. And so he said, concerning giving and receiving, but ye only, 16. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, watch these words now, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. The first offering was income-based. The second offering is heart-based. This offering is need-based. Why? Because he's saying, you all sent me a gift, and notice how he talks about it, the things. I got stuff from Epaphroditus that he sent, that you sent by him to me. This is very intriguing because now we realize this takes us a step further. It's not just to say this is a heart offering that is a willing offering, but now we see that a church is giving to a missionary for a specific need. Now, I don't know what Paul's needs were, but clearly he had some, and he it was qualified as things, which would probably mean Oreos, right? I mean, stuff you need. Twinkies, right? Just the basics. But there was something that Paul needed. We know in another place, Paul asked Timothy to say, Could you get the parchments where he was, we assume, writing scripture? Could you get the parchments? Could you also get my coat? I need my coat, it's cold. And so we realize that churches can give to projects, specific needs. I, I see that we have a new lighthouse. And and now for those of you, it doesn't go all the way around the back. There's a big hole in the back there. <laughs> I was kind of disappointed when I got there. It's like, oh man. It's not the whole thing, you can't get inside of it, you can't hide, you can't, the good stuff, you just gotta, it's back there, it's an alcove. But, how did we get that? Somebody had to make it. Somebody had to see the need and buy the paint and make angle cuts at 22 and a half or whatever it is to get those. And And somebody had to put the screws in it, somebody had to put the lights in it. Hopefully somebody who knows what they're doing by the time we get to the top and we trip the whole breaker. But we have all of this here. What, what was that? Well, that was a, a need. It was a project. Maybe someone on church staff did it. Maybe somebody, I don't know how, but I, as soon as I came in, I said, we got a new lighthouse. This is exciting to realize. How do you get that? Giving. It's not the, it's not the prescribed offering and it's not... The preferred offering, it's a project offering. and This fits in scripture because if every offering we do in, in church has a scriptural foundation, then we know we're right. If we're doing stuff that's not in scripture, maybe we ought to really check out what we're doing. So now I want to take you to the fourth kind of offering. The fourth kind of offering is what we'll call the promised offering. Why? Well, because we use prescribed and preferred and project, and I had to use a P for the last one because otherwise I lose my preacher qualifications for 24 hours. So we're going to go with promised offering. Now, what is the promised offering? Well, this is where we go to Acts chapter 11, which kind of go back toward Matthew a bit, and go with me to Acts chapter 11. And we're going to look at uh, what we'll call the gift for others. We have the gift for him, the gift for his house, the gift for a want or a need, and then we have the gift for others. Look with me in Acts chapter 11. And I want you to look down toward the end of the chapter in verse number 27. And here's how the, what the Bible says. Acts eleven twenty-seven. 27. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Now what you're going to hear me read to you is the introduction to the promised offering. We've seen where there was the prescribed offering, the preferred offering, the project offering, and this is the fourth kind of offering. In fact, in fact, I just looked down I'm thinking there's got to be a faith promise card there somewhere. The faith promise cards that you're getting are the indicators that... I'm not going to lose these because this is already filled out. Please don't mess up, John. So, just pray for me. So, these cards that you get... Now, you're not going to read that they had cards, nor a cool lighthouse. But you are going to see the essence or the sense of what this offering is about. So, I'm going to put this right back where it was because... We don't want to lose that. Look, because it directly affects whether the next light bulb works or not. Acts eleven twenty seven, there's 28. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Oh. Red-haired guy, Virginia Tech shirt. What's your name? No, uh. Is that two words or one? One. No, uh. What's a dearth? Struggle bus. That's what you're on right now. What's, the, what's your name? Landon. Landon. Got it. What's your name to the right of no, uh? Hmm? Daniel. Daniel. Do any of the three of you know what a dearth is? Oh, there's a dearth of knowledge. That's what we got. <laughs> what is it? Turn to the guy behind you. He looks like he's somewhat educated. Ask him what a dearth is. Ah, it's like, now I get it. Wait a minute. He just insulted us. He said there was a dearth of knowledge. Yes, there was a dearth of brain cycles going on too. In this verse we get the indication of what the problem was. 28, a dearth would take place throughout all the world. 29, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The promised offering began not for the evangelization of the world, The promised offering began because there was a dearth. No, uh, do you know what a dearth is? What? Please don't tell me you forgot. (laughs) A famine. Noah, this... I'm learning how to say your name better. This is what we're doing every night. This promised offering... They had a purpose, the famine. What is our purpose? Missions to get the gospel out around the world. It's just a pattern. It's a model. It's an example for us. So what did they do? What do we see are the unique characteristics of this offering? Well, first of all, they had a purpose for the offering. Their purpose was they were going to give in order to get money, to the churches, the church back at Jerusalem, to help the believers that were there when the famine came. The famine had not arrived, but the famine was going to come. So the promised offering had a purpose. The second thing I want you to see about the promised offering, it had a place. Where was the place? Well, it was the church. When Agabus came and stood up There, amongst those believers, he was there at the church. He wasn't at the marketplace. He wasn't at the store. He wasn't at the town square. He was at the church. Why? Because God works through his church. This promised offering, now we have a purpose, the dearth. We have a place where God's going to use in order to take care of the famine. Here's the third thing we see. We have a people who are the people? Well, they, in this case, the Bible refers to them as disciples. The promised offering had disciples. Who were they? Well, the disciples are followers of Christ. They are students of Christ. They are learners, pupils, if you will. And these are not the perfect. They're just the forgiven. These are people who are not just religious they're not religious, they're just the redeemed. These are people who are not the lily white perfect people who grew up in a Christian home. These are the broken. These are the folks who have gone through tough, tough times. And these are the folks that God's going to use. So when I want you to see this, the promised offering has characteristics that are quite similar to what we have. A purpose, a place, a people. Well, let me draw those ties very quickly together for you. Isn't that precisely what we're doing now? We're, we have a purpose. We're going to take the model of what they did. They made a promise to give. That's the model we're going to follow. So we have a, pers- a purpose, missions. We have a place, this church. We have a people, you. Notice further what they had. According to Scripture, it says, then they had Every man, notice that now, the disciples, every man. So the promised offering also had partners. It wasn't just for the affluent, for one person to say, well, that's the rich guy in the church, he'll take care of that. That's the rich lady in the church, she'll take care of that. No, it was clearly something that everybody could do. Every man. So now as we unfold it, we have a purpose, a people, a place, And we have partners that everybody did it. That's what's so great about this. If your name is Noah, you can give in this. If your name's not Noah, you can give in this. And that takes care of everybody else. Everybody can give. Notice, do you remember what we read in Exodus 35? Where it talked about how every man and every woman gave. This is this kind of equalization of everything. Everybody can give. The promised offering is not something that Pastor Asher sat back in his office and dreamt up and said, you know, maybe he ordered the course, How to Extract More Money from Your Church Members. And you didn't buy that one, did you? No. <laughs> I have a copy. The, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was just a matter of saying, let's look in Scripture. What, how do we give? Well, we, we have the offering for him. How do we give? We have the offering for his house. How do we give? We have the offering that is for others. And then you look at this and you say, all right, how did they do this? 11, 28, 29. Then the disciples, so there's our people. Every man, there's our partners. Notice what it said. According to his ability, so that's their participation. They, each one was able to do something. So, What's your name again with the seafood at the restaurant washing dishes? Jacob? Jacob doesn't work, does it? No, uh, does. Jacob, I don't think you're making a thousand a week washing dishes. Just a guess. But there's probably somebody in here who makes a thousand a week. Shoot, dude, I want their job. <laughs> You can only give based on your ability, Jacob. They give based on their ability. They participate to their capacity. And that's where we have to get in our thinking. Amen. So, the promised offering is we have, going all the way back to the beginning now, we have a purpose. Theirs was the dearth. Ours is missions. They had a place, the church. We have a place, the church. They had a people, the disciples. What else did they have? They had partners, every man. They had participation according to their ability. Everybody was there. And then the big word that I want you to see here in verse number 29 is, they determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. You say, Brother O'Malley, I'm with you all the way, but where's the promise part? Well, that's the determined word. Then the disciples, every man, according to his ability, determined. They made some sort of noticed Mm -hmm. statement. We're going to do this. You say, well, Brother O'Malley, you you know, they didn't know what things were going to cost in the future. They didn't know, like we would say, I don't know what gas prices are going to be. I don't know what the grocery bill is going to be like. I don't know what utility prices are going to be. How, How can I make a promise? They didn't know either. They just knew God and they promised to give. That's when we ask you in just in fact, just a moment, we're going to hand out cards tonight and you pray over that card and you say, "Okay, how is this that model? This is that model because we're saying we're a people in a place making a promise to give for missions. Does the money go to what it's supposed to go for here? Of course it does. The, the accountability of it is quite known. The participation is quite evident. Uh, this, what you have here, there are some churches who would thrill just to break 100,000. So, well, let's just quit right here. We don't want to be better than anybody else. No, we're looking this saying, can we make, do we know how to make a five? Can we make that 250? Can we go 260, 270? You say, well, how are we going to do all of that? We're a people in a place who are making a promise. We're not making a promise just to get hyped up. We're making a promise that what God leads us to give, and that's what I believe they did. And then there's the last thing I want you to see, and it really, you have to go to verse 30 to see it, which also they did. That's powerful. So I go all the way back and I realize I have a purpose, a place, a people, a partner's participation, a promise. And then there's a period of time that that money was given and turned in. I'm not quite sure what calendar date this would be for them. But I do know this, that they had warning or notice to give. When they had that notice to give, they had a certain time to get that money in. Verse 29 Is promise made verse 30 is promise kept so when we give you these cards we're not asking you to give these cards to create drama in here we're asking you to take these cards to get a hold of God because there are missionaries we want to send there are people we want to communicate the gospel to and the only way we'll get that done is if we say all right the promised offering fits in the Bible's scope of offerings the preferred offering The prescribed offering the project offering and the promised offering it fits how do we do the promised offering well you get a you get a purpose you get a people in a place who will partner and participate and make a promise and perform that promise in the time frame allowed we do this every year now I say we I'm not here every year But you do it every year and you fill out those cards. They say, well, are we ever going to quit? No. Why? Because there are more people every day. And we have more places to get the gospel to. So I say to you tonight, what are you going to put on your card? You say, well, that that, that theory was good until you got to that question. But what are you going to do? I'm going to wait to see what everybody else does. Okay but tell me you're going to do something. What a statement to say, every man. That's not a boy-only verse. That's girls and boys, okay? But everybody gave. Brother Asher, I go to churches where they'll have a numeric goal, somewhere we're going. I am a church I recently was there, and they don't do this. They go for one hundred percent participation of every member in the church. Wow. Do I have a preference? Nope. All I want to see you do is what God has you to do. I'm close with this. And I'm only saying those words just to get you excited, like is he conscious of the time? He is. And the Waffle House will still be open, Noah. (laughs) A young man just south of here, near Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, said to me one night after service, he said, Mr. O'Malley, what you're saying is amazing. We were talking about the promised offering. He said, I need one of those cards. Now, he was a guest. He wasn't even a member of the church. He said, I need one of those cards. I want to fill out one of those cards. I said, okay. And I got him a card. I figured he'll just take it back to his church. And he said, Mr. O'Malley, I need you to tell me what to put on that card. And I I said, that's not for me to decide. That's for you to decide. You have to figure out what to put on there. He said, no, sir, you don't understand. I kind of stepped back and I said, what don't I understand? He said, I take orders for a living. And I just need somebody to tell me what it is. And I thought, you know, and there's so much mischief in my heart and mine. And I thought of a lot of things to say. But the most Christ-like one I could come up with was, it'll be cheaper for you to fill out your own than if I do it. I don't know how to tell you what to put on your card. But I can tell you, you can start a conversation here you're not comfortable social distancing and want to come to an altar, you pray right where you are. I encourage you tonight to say, wow, God, the promised offering fits with all the other ones. What am I supposed to do? Am I part of the everyone team here? Oh, it's easy to let other people do your giving for you. I mean, for real, we outsource our evangelism locally to our pastoral staff. We outsource our other kind of jobs to other, uh, everybody else. We outsource our religious education to our Sunday school teachers. Why not just outsource our giving to more of the affluent in the church? I'm not content for that. I want in. I want to be part of the giving team, and you should as well.